At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. As many listeners know, and anybody who's maybe caught a couple episodes of the show, some of my favorite people to talk to are physicians, the ones actually doing this. The reason why I'm in this industry, the reason why so many people are here to help support doctors who by and large, have to go save lives, treat people, treat everybody like that. So we need more doctors doing this type of a stuff, being in this industry. One of those who has done amazing work in direct care and a bunch of other things, Dr. Allison Edwards, currently the medical director for the online healthcare marketplace, Sesame. Dr. Edwards, thank you for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Hello, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Now, I'm putting you up on that big pedestal, right? Like, you're one of those people that you know a lot of people in this industry, small but growing industry. You've helped out a lot of people. You've been a shining light for a lot of people, been a leader. How do you find time to do all this? <laughs> um, I don't have a good answer for that. I do sleep. I, most people are like, oh, I don't sleep. No, I sleep. I love sleep. I am uh, I'm a family physician by training, right? And so the joke of family physicians is that they can never focus on any one thing. That, that that's why we went into families because we're generalists and love to dabble in all the areas. And so I think that that carried over to my career um, and, and is why I'm uh, so encouraged and um, excited by everything that's happening in indirect pay care and transparency and healthcare pricing and all that stuff like that gets me up and, and going and supercharged. I feel like society discounts the generalist these days. And, and like, just what you just said, like you get to focus on a bunch of different things. And I, I am one of those people like I totally sympathize. And, you know, you talk to a family and friends and they're like, Hey, Chris, what kind of crazy harebrained idea do you have right now? Or what are you doing? Or why are you doing this kind of stuff? Can't you just focus? And I'm like, well, yeah, I focus on a lot of different things at one point in time. Right. But that's like society has taught us that we have to be specialists. Medicine is no different at all. Like, look at, look at, you know, what's going on in medical schools where they're saying, Hey, top flight medical schools, we don't we don't do primary care here, right? You gotta go into specialties. So I, I'm just curious, you know, just because you said that and kind of took me off on tangential and just blew up my entire plan for this episode, which <laughs> no. I love it's it. It's like I mean, you could call yourself a generalist, which you're right. I think it's not very sexy, but like if you think of yourself as like, you know, the Renaissance, you know, type of person who is interested in lots of things, it was intelligent about a lot of things and was you know, enjoying the world of, of exploration and learning. I think that that's kind of the, the bend that I have is that it's so fantastic to be able to question the status quo and to be able to rethink the way that 
healthcare is provided and the way that, you know, that, that we go about sort of business as usual and, and sort of turn it upside down and say, business as usual has been terrible. <laughs> let's, let's rethink it. And so that's where the, you know, the generalist perspective comes in is that uh, you, you have the nuance of seeing everything across the healthcare system, inpatient, outpatient, ER, hospital, um, direct primary care, fee-for-service. Like I, I can speak to, you know, almost anything with regard to like how the healthcare system is administered perhaps save, you know, for uh, administering an insurance plan. That is something I would not touch. That's my third rail. <laughs> but, but everything else, you know, is up for grabs and is, is super interesting to me. And a lot of times what we see is generalists are the ones who are able to pull on experiences outside of their purview, their everyday purview. And those are the people who are responsible, not just in being a generalist in medicine, but being a generalist in industry and attacking problems, pulling on different experiences throughout life. I think it's very important. So, I, you know, here's my here's my public you know service announcement that I think it's time to start celebrating generalists. Thank you. I'll be I'll be you know right behind you, banging on a drum, be like, all right, guys, get in line, let's go down this parade. I love it. No, ne- next time I see you on stage, that's that's the topic, right? That's what's going to happen. <laughs> next conference, next conference, you see Dr. Allison Edwards. You see on there, and she's going to be talking about how generalists yes. <laughs> are here to save healthcare and save the world. There you that's go. That's it. I love it. I'm there. I'm so there. <laughs> I so you, you caught me on this topic, and there's currently I'm currently reading a book, and and there's gosh, you talked to my wife. There's a stack of six books next to my next to my bed, and I'm halfway through all of them. So again, going on the journalist thing that I can't sit there and focus and read a book cover to cover because one day I'm like, well, I kind of want to read about coffee and the history of it. They want to read about generalists and all this kind of different stuff, right? And um, it's called Range. A lot of people have probably heard of this one by David Epstein, phenomenal one. Range, while generalists triumph in a specialized world. And it's just totally what you're just talking about right there. Like, you know, the best athletes pull on uh, experiences from playing soccer, playing basketball, playing baseball. And then as they grow older, their skill sets and their bodies, you know, mature. And then they're able to triumph at one, but they're able to pull in different, you know, different skills and all that kind of stuff from a multitude of different experiences. And I love it. And that's why it appealed to me because again, going back to what I said, like society says, you need to choose a major in college and then that's going to be your career and you don't do anything else. Medical schools do that. The same thing, especially in the U S like, you need to go be a specialist or a subspecialist or whatever it is. And that's it. And then you go in and focus on that. They make good money. There's a purpose for them. But that leaves a lot of everyday care on the wayside. Well, and it's it's interesting, too, because you and I connected a couple of weeks ago at the FMMA conference. And one of the talks that I was giving was specifically about, you know, where are the specialists in this movement? Where are the specialists in the direct pay movement and the pricing transparency movement and whatnot, because the, you know, it's been, you know, the path forward has really been forged by the generalists, by the primary care physicians and and those who are doing sort of that breadth of work. Whereas the specialists, you know, my, my theory or hypothesis, and hopefully I can uh, enrage a few of your specialist uh, listeners enough to make them do something about this. <laughs> but, um, you know, the specialists are kind of sitting back because they, they're, you know, they're okay with the insurance-based status quo where, you know, prices are not transparent and, um, you know, patients get stuck with these huge bills and, you know, unexpected costs and things like that. And, um, and so it's, it's interesting because, you know, you're right. Specialists are sort of the vaulted, exalted, you know, uh, promoted species within medicine. But ultimately, like if we're really going to quote unquote fix healthcare, 
um, and help with, you know, all of the conundrum of pricing and price transparency and all that and kind of removing middlemen and all that. Like we do need the specialists on board, but they've kind of been, you know, fat and happy, if you will, with, with how things are going for them right now. And like I said, if you're angry that I just said that, do something. <laughs> specialists out there. Yeah, I don't know if angry is going to be the response. And and we get inbound calls from specialists all the time from across the country saying, can you help me start my direct care practice? I, I am insanely jealous of what primary care docs are doing right now. And so I tell that to primary care docs and they're like, really? The specialists, holy cow, they're jealous of what I'm doing. This is, this is, this is amazing. The problem is we have such an infantile industry right now. And, you know, I, I think there's a multitude of reasons for that. You know, we see some infighting, unfortunately, and my way's better, your way sucks, or it's all going to be this way or whatever. It's fine. Whatever. Uh, have those arguments. But from the specialist standpoint, it, it's almost like our business model, we, we don't have the relationship building, I guess, is the key point right there. Most specialties, most non-primary care specialties, because all doctors are specialists, it's just Thank Set you. that foundation, right? Thank you. Yeah. Non-primary specialties, you do not have that relationship building. And so it's more episodic. It's more short-term packages. And that's where it comes in. And that's why that business model is really, really hard. If you're not integrated in with a bunch of primary care you know, patients and being able to showcase that you know, for every thousand primary care patients in a given area, we can expect... X number of cardio visits, X number of neurology visits. Like that's that's going to be the key to unlocking this in the future. And that was something that I was a little bit nervous to bring up in talking about why don't specialists go into direct pay more often is that the theory is if, you know, you take a few steps back. Like, so I had my own direct primary care practice. We always were looking for specialty referrals because, because you know, I'm, I'm not so proud to say that I can, you know, manage all the complexities that every specialty can. Like, that's, we, we need our specialist colleagues. But the irony is sort of that, like, you know, first of all, I have a smaller panel in direct primary care, right? Like, you look at sort of the quoted, you know, two to 3,000 in a fee-for-service insurance-based practice, you know, as, as a panel size for a primary care doctor. Well, in direct primary care, we're probably averaging 600 some less, some more, right? So your referral pool, to your point, is smaller from any given physician who's operating in direct primary care, the transparent you know, pay marketplace. But moreover, with those 600 patients, you know, I am very proud of my training. I'm very proud of the breadth of training um, that I received and think that coming out of residency, I was empowered to take care of a lot more than what the average primary care doctor does eventually in their career take care of. And so I'm not referring out to specialists as much too. So you have this like two, you know, double hit sort of thing where like, not only is my panel smaller, but I'm going to do more comprehensive care anyway, which both of those are going to like lower the, my referral patterns into specialists. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's kind of this, this tough, tough position where, you know, I need the specialist when I need the specialist and I need them to treat my patients well, both medically and financially, but I also can't promise them, you know, an endless stream of referrals just because that goes against our value proposition in sort of the direct primary care, holistic, high quality, high level care that we want to provide. Absolutely. And I totally agree. And I, I had this conversation recently, you know, at a lunch meeting and I was talking about how much, you know, your primary care physician can do, you know, your internal medicine doctor, your peds, your family physician, how much they can actually do. And they said, well, you know, is there a risk of them overstepping and, and not referring for right things? I'm like, well, 
no, because we got to separate a referral based on constraints of time. You know, in the current insurance world, like if you only have five or seven minutes with a patient, you're going to start referring more because you just don't have the time to ask the questions, try to dive into something. Now, I've never met a doctor who says, yeah, you're probably going to need like this really subspecialist kind of thing over here. Let me go research some stuff. I'm going to learn how to do it. And I'll call you back in 30 days. Nobody's yeah. ever done that, right? right. So I'm right. like, you got to separate the cause of that referral. Is that cause where the doctor understands that, hey, I, I'm be able to tackle a lot of different stuff, but once we go too deep into certain areas, I got to send you on and I'm going to take care of you because I'm going to send it over to this person. I know that's doctor and they're going to be great. Versus I know a lot of different reasons why you might be feeling this way, but I don't have enough time to actually dive, you know, even a layer deep that I can do. So I, I think it's important to mention that, that, you know, when it comes to referrals, you know, are, are you sending people out because you just don't have the time to talk to them and get to know them better and understand it? Or is this something where you're like, okay, we need to bring in somebody who does this every single day. And I know I'm kind of picking on specialists in general in the world, but we need them just as much as we need generalists. Like that's not a point that I'm trying to make in any of our conversations so far. They absolutely serve a huge, huge purpose. But let's again, focus on the generalist here and coming out of it. I want to, you know, kind of go into what you were talking about, the reasons why that you really got into this type of medicine coming out, you know, kind of your story. Before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from one of our fantastic sponsors and as you listeners can probably guess, quick message from our sponsors, Freedom Doc. Physician burnout is an absolute killer. It is driving our best and brightest out of medicine. The only solution to burnout is to be your own boss. The easiest way to be your own boss, join the Freedom Doc Physician Network. Freedom Doc will fully finance your practice so you can enjoy a healthier lifestyle, take better care of patients, and spend more time with your family. You focus on patients, Freedom Doc focuses on your business. So if you're ready to be your own boss, visit our website, freedomdoc.care. To learn more and schedule a consultation with one of our experts, Freedom Doc, accessible concierge healthcare. Back to our episode, Dr. Allison Edwards, medical director of Sesame. We spent a lot of time talking about generalists, why they're important. We kind of drifted a little bit, and and I'm sure some people rolled their eyes there, and some people were like, "Yeah, that's pretty par for the course there." And uh, we managed to just offend a few groups of people, but not too many of them. But we're talking about you know how we get specialist in this industry. And it's something that's very near and dear. And so I've had a lot of conversations and I talk, tell people all the time that a hospital is just a collection of specialists. Like in my mind, a hospital is great for trauma, great for just absolute emergencies, but that's hard to staff and you never know who's going to be coming in there. Otherwise, every single doctor in there could probably open up their own shop elsewhere and be okay with it. So you know, the problem I see with understanding what type of volume specialists you're going to see, especially in our industry, in our world, in the direct care standpoint, is technology. I haven't seen an EMR that is really great at understanding where the referrals are going outside of this office so that we can then track them, band them together. And I can call Dr. Edwards up and say, hey, Dr. Edwards, we got X amount of referrals coming around here. What do you have? And you'll say, oh, I got X amount. I'm like, great. I think it's time to go recruit a cardiologist now. This is almost like it's paper and pencil. I'm like, wait a minute. How does this not exist? You're not exaggerating. Like so many practices managed. Yeah. Or like a spreadsheet, like pull up the spreadsheet. Where's our referral? Yeah, exactly. And like, that's the missing key, key keys. Goodness gracious. That's the missing piece that can be the Locking key the to business unlock of, it. Yeah, yeah. Go. Now I got it. Uh, why don't you go ahead and um, invent that? That'd be great. 
Sure. Like, figure, figure that out. You're going to make everyone so much happier if you can figure out referrals. And then also while you're at it, could you like make it so that we don't fax anymore? Cause that's another one. <laughs> that's just like, I can't believe we're still faxing, but um, whatever. I, I had so much hope, I guess, you know, coming through the pandemic and I, I loved reading the headlines and, and I say this a lot. I love reading the headlines where it's like a hospital system is patting themselves on the back because they just invented how to do virtual health and telemedicine. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I know, I know. Welcome to healthcare. It's so funny. We've been doing this since 2015, 2016. People have been doing it far longer than we have. And it's all been a part of the DNA there to be able to actually provide convenient answers to questions. And so, you know what? Shame on me because I'm sitting there thinking, maybe as an eternal, the eternal optimist here, maybe hospitals will take that future leap and that technology leap. And now what we see is they're even pulling back, pulling away from virtual care. <sighs> This is why I never wanted to work for a hospital system was because I was like, oh, my God, these huge, huge corporations that are that are getting huger. Is that a word? Is huger the word or is it more huge? I don't know. They're getting they're monstrosities. They can, they cannibalize everything in their path. Like I joke that um, hospitals from a from a, like architectural geographic standpoint are like slow growing benign tumors like, you know, they started out this big with this building and then they had this like little growth off to the side that doesn't quite match the first one. And then you get another growth over here and it's like this. And then all of a sudden they, you know, you know, go and they, then they do metastasize and they leap and they eat another hospital, you know, across the city. And oh my God. And all of a sudden now you only have one hospital in your town and prices go up and all this stuff. And, and then they're like, no, we don't need to do uh, technology <laughs> because we're the only game in town. Monopolies are great for the monopolist. Really bad for everybody else. That's exactly right. So that's, you know, that's ultimately, you know, I was speaking with um, some residents uh, from my residency earlier this week about their future and kind of their job prospects. And <laughs> I, I never know if they are just staring at me and just appeasing me and nodding politely because they just feel bad <laughs> that I'm so crazy. But um, part of what I was I was conferring to them and trying to say is that like, you work for the person who signs your paycheck, right? Like, like I've, I've talked about this before, where you know whomever you know whoever signature is there on your paycheck, like whoever is financing your your payroll is the person that you're working for. And so, when you're working for these these massive hospitals, you're working for you know first of all the hospital as a corporation, but they're ultimately funded by the insurer, and then it's going to be you know several 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 steps until you actually see the patient's money, right? Like. And it's not necessarily the patient's money that is, you know, funding that insurance product. It's the employer's money. It's, you know, the employer is using that money and not paying it, you know, towards wages, you know, towards that patient ultimately. And the employer is making all these decisions. And, and ultimately, it's not really the employer. It's right. It's the insurer and their TPA and their broker and like this whole like, you know, underworld of, of people who are making all these decisions and making money. And so it's like, when you work for these huge corporations, you're working for everything in that big old soup and not really working for that, that patient ultimately. And I think that's what drove me insane um, and pushed me to start my DPC practice. Cause it was, I, I, I was not going to be able to survive knowing that my overlords were, <laughs> were like, were those, those players and ultimately not the patient sitting in front of me. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, you know, to those residents, like, Going to work for a hospital and having just a really shitty patient experience, patient care. I actually just looked up, you know, some numbers, doing some different stuff. But 
the average wait time to go see a doctor in the U.S. is 26 days. It's awful. 12, almost 13 million people have died because they skipped seeking essential medical care because they knew they couldn't get in. 40% of Americans delay care, and then 13 million of those died last year. And it's just like, wait a minute. Isn't this the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing? What our health insurance was a financial tool should be risk adjusted to prevent catastrophic ruin. Are they supposed to be preventing that? Like what, what is going on? So I don't, I don't know, like those numbers are real, right? I don't know if any resident will sit there and listen to that and be like, oh, well, my hospital employment is going to be different. <laughs> right. Is that, well, where are we in Stockholm syndrome? Like, that's always my biggest question. Like, yeah, are the- well, it's super fascinating, right? Cause like, because also residents are generally schooled in these huge, like like I was, like they're they're taught in these massive massive hospital systems, which I, I'm proud of, right? Like I loved working in, I worked in a university system, tertiary care, right? Transplant team, trauma team, like your cath labs, like like we did amazing, amazing life saving stuff, but to the point that we've dragged on now for the last, you know, 20 minutes, I'm a generalist. I'm a primary care doctor. I'm an outpatient person. Like it's awesome to have that really, that that robust system to learn in. But when it comes to like, how am I going to sustain a career? How am I going to actually take care of patients? Like that's not the setting that's, you know, to your point, like the status quo is miserable. And so it's interesting to hear the residents like sort of have that little light bulb or like those gears turning in their heads where I'm like, listen, no shame on your education because you need it. Like you need to know these things, but the status quo sucks. Like it really, really sucks. And so when people throw shade at the direct primary care community or the um, direct pay community, or, you know, like you're asking people to, you know, pay for care. I'm like, yeah, regardless, you get a paycheck. Somebody's paying for that care. And so my theory, you know, my hypothesis out there is that if we can make healthcare pricing transparent, if we can make it clear upfront costs, if we can really respect the patient's autonomy in that regard and say like, hey, here's here's what I can do for you. Here's what I can offer for you. And this is how much it's going to cost. Perhaps I'm preaching to the choir here, but like that's a way better experience than the crazy delay of care, you know, like months out care, um, you know, avoiding things due to cost, perhaps due to access, you know, who knows why, why people avoid care. But if I can sit down and just say like, here are options. Here's how much it's going to cost. How can I help? Help, help me help you. Like, what are we going to do? And I will share just personally um, on this note of, of delayed care and stuff. In the DPC world, we have to negotiate with our patients all of the time about actually accessing care and, and taking that next step and, and doing the workup and whatnot. And so it's an interesting paradigm where that we don't get taught as physicians. We don't get taught how to say, here's what I would recommend. This is plan A. This is the best practice. This is the standard of care. Have your patient immediately say back to you, no, I'm not doing that. So there in the office, you're, you're forced into figuring out, okay, well, they just declined my plan A. Like, can I make a plan B? And, and can I go to sleep tonight? Okay. That we just went to plan B or, oh my gosh, we have to go to plan C. Right. And I think that that's a really interesting nuance of, of taking care of people as people that is also missed in the larger system is that like when I'm a physician working in, you know, the ER or in a hospital setting and I, you know, recommend something to a patient and say, I think you should do this. Oftentimes they'll sort of just like nod and, and uh, you know, say, okay, that's fine. And I never know if they're going to follow through with it. Right. Like I can't make a plan B. So um, anyway, small tangent, but um, you know, that's the whole goal is to, to get people access to care in a way that's meaningful and timely for them. And I'm sure that, 
compliance rates do skyrocket in that because you're able to have a conversation and dialogue. And somebody might push back because they said, what you just said is completely unrealistic for me or my finances. And I think that's one of the biggest things that people do not go seek medical care out there. And it's this weird kind of badge of honor that, hey, I was really sick. I didn't call my doctor and I got better in two weeks. It's like, what? Like, that's a roll of the dice. That's a gamble. Like, that's even worse gods than running out to Vegas. Like, why did you do that? Right? Like, there's so many things that people will talk about. Like, well, I couldn't see them. Like, I couldn't I couldn't get in for a month. So I figured I'd be healthy by then or dead. Okay. I guess that's true. That's a couple of different sides of the coin, but fine. Yeah. And I, I don't want people to do like the number of times I've actually told people like, yeah, you know what? Watching and waiting is fine, but I'm here for you should you need expert advice and consultation, right? Like I'm not dismissing you and you're not on your own and you're not <laughs> Googling that you are definitely going to die of cancer the next week, right? Like that's not healthcare. That's not the point. But even to that point right there where you're saying, hey, patient, just just wait and watch. There's a totally difference in this. And, and I've seen this in, in, in my personal life where, you know, we talk to doctors in hospitals and they say, well, I think it's this, but I'm not going to rule out this like really serious condition, we need to come have you tested every single day. And I'm saying, well, wait a minute. That's a huge you know, position of the life. Like, what's the chances that it's this really bad thing over here? What should I be watching out for? What kind of thing? What kind of trigger point should I have? And we just, you know, you couldn't get an answer because you couldn't get a hold of that doctor. I, I feel like what you're talking about and all the interactions with our clients and our practices are the opposite. It's more education based. Like, okay, Chris, here's 99% of the chance it's this over here, which is fine. There's a small chance it's this. If it is this, here's the things to look out for. If this happens, you're calling me, and then we're going to see if you need to come in or what, what are you going to do there. And from a psychological standpoint, stress, like, I'm like, okay, now I know what to look out for rather than there's a boogeyman that might reach out and get you at any point, like be on guard for a week. It's like, wait a minute, that's not helping anybody. No, no, no. And that's, I, there's, um, if you want to, think about other fun books to read, like the death of expertise. Like it's interesting how the trust in the medical system has eroded over time and people's trust in doctors has eroded and, you know, people don't trust experts or look to expert advice. And and it's, it's, you know, as an expert, it's sad because it's sad because that's my identity and, you know, my, my profession, but societally, like I, <laughs> I need experts in my life. Like, so do you, we all need experts because we cannot all be experts in everything. Like, this is what drives me crazy is when people say things like, I don't trust doctors or I don't, I don't, you know, trust the system or, you know, I'm going to look elsewhere. I'm going to Google it. I'm like, you literally trust experts all day, every day to get you through your life, right? Like you're not building bridges. You're not an engineer. You're not testing like the tensile strength of like the, the spans over that river. Like you have no idea how your smartphone works and yet you carry it around in your pocket all day. Like just over and over, like your electricity works, like, like all of this stuff, like you actually do trust experts and you defer to experts on a regular basis because that's how you get through life. And that's how you compartmentalize. And to the point we were saying earlier, you know, specialize, right? Like live your life, let somebody else worry about that stuff. And I, I wish I could sort of hold a banner and stomp and yell to, to people out there and say like, physicians are, at least in the direct primary care world and the transparent pay world, like we literally work for nobody but you. Like you are the person we care about. I want to give you my expertise and I want to reassure you, like you're saying, Chris, like I'm not here to conduct multiple tests and, and freak you out and send you to a hospital. Like I am here to assess the situation and provide the absolute best advice possible based on my expertise and professional training. Like that's it. And that's what you pay me for. And so my incentives are aligned with yours, hopefully. 
I love it. You, you got one of my like big trigger words, you know, incentives. I'm going like, to have a buzzer someday on the show. I'll just be like, <laughs> bing, 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 just like the DJ, like, wah, wah, you know, going out when, whenever somebody says incentives. And I think that's the biggest thing. I think, and, you know, we talked to a ton of physicians and I think that's the one keyword that they don't do a good job communicating with their patients with of, well, why should I join your practice? And they go, well, I'll see, uh, you know, uh, same day visits and I'll do this and I'll do this and this and this. And I'm like, okay, that, that's nice. But I've seen those same words up on a hospital billboard on the interstate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you drive home that you're like, no, 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 my incentives are exactly the same as yours. I want to get and keep you healthy. And that's what you're going to pay for. So everything I'd ask you to do, that kind of stuff, I don't make another dime off of it because it's built on this different type of a payment model over here. And that just kind of hits a switch in someone's head and kind of hits them between the eyes of like, oh, okay. Now you're actually on my team. You're on my side. So I can trust you. Rather than what you just said of, well, this guy's out here just to send me up in the system so that, you know, the hospital can make a million bucks off of me. And I don't know what the hell anything costs or I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what questions to ask. Yeah, it's so different. Again, I'm like, I'm I'm out there like fighting the good fight. Be like, come on, everybody, like change it. Wake up. One thing that, that has always intrigued me whenever I see you speak or talk to people is that you have a very good concept and idea of the history of really the healthcare industry and how we got to this point. And I remember being so excited. I'm like, yes, finally somebody else who's able to trace this back into World War II and figure out how we got here, right? You're talking about how it's almost like a tumor that, that grew and kind of took over other parts. And <laughs> it was so slow. It was that slow boil, right? We got to this point yeah. and didn't even realize that the kettle is on full bubble and we just there's, no, there's nothing we can do except try to jump out and abandon ship completely. You can't turn the heat down. And so like that was one of the cool things because I think a lot of a lot of people go into this thinking, oh, well, this is just normal. This is the way it's always been and not realizing that the healthcare as we see it today is a construct of, I'm going to say the last two, three decades. And so it's like, you know what? We can reverse this thing. There is hope. Yeah. No. And it's, I mean, I would even push you and say like, it's not just the last two or three decades, right? Because, uh, you know, from our vantage point here in the... 2023, looking back two decades, we've got the ACA and kind of some Medicare expansion. But like post-World War II is when that, as I like to call it, like the snowball started rolling down the hill, collecting all the dirt and grime and sticks and like gross hairballs, <laughs> like anything else you can imagine that would be nasty, that would that would be uh, collected in a snowball. And and it's, it's to your point, yeah, it's it hasn't always been this way. The U.S. has some really, really quirky ways that we've evolved that um, other, you know, Western industrialized nations have not adopted. Um, and it's kind of put us in this, in this strange position where we're spending, you know, a fifth of our GDP on, on healthcare. And that's insane. That is absolutely insane. I tell people all the time uh, that, you know, if we did things the same way as the rest of the world, then there wouldn't just be one superpower. So we are doing something right, but I agree with you in this industry. <laughs> That is a whole conversation. There are so many like pluses and minuses and it's, yeah, it's life, right? It's, it's politics, it's politics, it's life. It's, there's, it's nuanced, right? Like it's not black and white. Let's go talking to Dr. Allison Edwards, uh, medical director of Sesame. You mentioned earlier in the episode, you said, you know, when I stepped out, I knew that I wouldn't want to ever be employed by a hospital. What led you to that type of a sentiment early on in your career? Oh man. Um, cause I'm obstinate. I'm totally uncontrollable and, and unemployable. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but now I do. I am. Oh man. I hate to say this out loud and like put this, you know, out into the ether. Cause now I'm never going to get a job ever again. Um, but I just, I, I, I can't see injustices or I can't see things that I think are goofy or wrong or 
I don't know. I just, I, it just, it boils my blood so much and I get so angry and frustrated that I'm like, I just can't do this. I need to change it. I need to look at it. I need to research it. I need to examine it. Like, why is it so goofy? Why is it so different? Like, why can't we do things, you know, in a different way? And that was ultimately my entire, you know, experience working in, in a corporate setting was that, you know, you had these bureaucracies raining down and, and rules and, like all these things that I was just like, man, this is just asinine. Like I, it doesn't make any sense, you know, to operate in the primary care world under these constraints. And, you know, I, going back to like the seminal things that, that form us and be, you know, this is why I am who I am. Like I grew up in a smaller town and I'd always worked for small businesses. And so I think some of my reaction to like these big corporate behemoths and the bureaucracy is that I had just never been employed in a, in a corporation or like in a big bureaucratic organization. So once I got there, I was like, wow, this is really, you know, difficult and silly and I don't like it. And I'm going to, I'm going to go and, and, you know, get a paycheck signed by my patients. Like I did when I was a, a waitress, right? Like when I got my tips from my people at, um, at my tables, like they were the ones who were paying me, I was going to work for them. You know, I want to do the same for my patients. I want to make sure that their waters are filled and that they have ketchup, <laughs> you know, if that's what they need. Most patients don't need ketchup, but should that be their request, I can help them with that. See, and you have the ability to do that too, because you're not playing by somebody else's rules when it comes to your, your care profiles here and what you're doing here. But I love that story because, you know, it's near and dear to me. And, and I think the last time I was, you know, an actual employee of something that I didn't own or, or do or control I worked for Johnson and Johnson and a great company loved the people I, I worked with. And it was, um, my time there had come to an end. It was, it was kind of an externship type of a thing. And they're like, so what do you want to do now? Is this, is this what you want to do? And I, I kind of laughed. I said, guys, I enjoyed my time here, but I know exactly what I don't want to do. I still have no idea what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I, to this day, like I'm still like, well, maybe I want to grow up and be a caterpillar or something. You know, who knows what it, what it is. So, sure, yeah. But I'm like, I know what I don't want to do. I don't want to just go to the office, punch a time card, sit there, do my time, go home. I'm like, that is just not fulfilling for me. I have so many other things that I want to do and interest. And I'm curious about how everything works. Like, it's just not going to work for me. So I totally share the sentiment that you just talked about right there. And sometimes people are just built a little bit differently. But there are a lot of great things about that. And if big companies did everything perfectly, there wouldn't be need or room for any of us. Right, right. And I totally agree with your sentiment of like, I can't, I can't work in that. I just, I can't do that. I wouldn't be happy. I could do it. I wouldn't be happy though. Oh, no, I, I, don't, I actually don't think I could. Like, I think I would like become paralyzed and you would just see me as a statue. Just be like, oh, I can't. So many doctors do that though. They have this addiction to this paycheck, right? And they're saying, well, I, I'm, I'm in too deep. I can't pull out. I have to do it. No, no, no. You're right though. You're right. And that was, that was going back to my comment about like talking to the residents, like, it was important for me to say there are other options. Like there's, there may be a little bit more risk in that, like you're not signing on to an employed W2 quote unquote guaranteed income base. But at the same time, like, yeah, you, you got to figure out what you're selling yourself for, like, you know, to, to what aim and, and whatnot. But. Oh yeah. I mean, we talk about burnout it's like, you know, latest numbers again, or one of those, it's like 40% of doctors are going to switch employers like in a, within a year. One in 50 doctors, 2% of doctors plan on leaving medicine completely to go do something else, not take care of patients. And it's like, oh, okay, that might not sound like a big number, but that is a massive amount of consternation in this industry here. So, Dr. Edward, I want to go into our last question here, kind of the, the big one, the macro view, the big question here. 
Okay. I have a couple of these different questions that I like to, I like to pull out here. So go for imagine it. that you have the ability to put any message you want to to patients and individuals across America on every single billboard out there. It's got to be concise so they can understand it and see it from the car as they go by at like 90 miles an hour. <laughs> what would you put on all those billboards to show them that there is an option, there is a better way of doing healthcare? Oh, man, that's a great question. Uh, I'll give you a long-winded answer. I'm sorry. Okay, so we're, go- we're driving by at 30 miles an hour, not 90. Yeah, I was going to say, I, my, I think my first reaction to your question was, I think I would tell them to stop driving 90 miles an hour because that seems dangerous. <laughs> well, maybe we're, maybe, maybe we're in Montana with this particular billboard, you know? Uh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> um, no, I think what we did at our direct primary care practice with one of our marketing campaigns kind of touched on this. And we, we just put something real simple. We said, healthcare is affordable. And just left it at that because that was our, our premise, you know, that in primary care, healthcare can actually be affordable. And I want to set aside the whole conversation about kind of the safety net clinic and Medicaid programs and things like that. Like, I think it's, it's just absolutely imperative that we do have that societal support. We do have that system. And that's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is kind of for those who are not going to qualify for a safety net or um, the Medicaid system, like, who do have employment, who do have some disposable income, who do have, you know, what we're going to call kind of a middle-class existence, like we shouldn't be insuring the things that can actually be paid for without insurance. And so that's where that healthcare is affordable came from, is that we just wanted to put it out there, make the statement, hopefully invite those who are seeing this to follow up and and learn more, right? Because why would you insure your what is essentially less than a a drink at Starbucks, right? Like a CBC costs me far less than a super mocha latte frappe, whatever, um, that some people are getting on a regular, on a, on a regular basis, way more regularly than they need a CBC. Right. And so that's kind of the point that we wanted to hit home was just like, have the conversation with us, but we're going to, we're going to try and hook you by saying, yes, healthcare is affordable and we can tell you why and how and whatnot. Dr. Allison Edwards, medical director with Sesame. Dr. Edwards, thank you so much for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes. Subscribe to our mailing list and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all of our episodes. Visit the shop and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced and managed by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris.
At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.